Welcome to The Green Investor, powered by Investopedia. I'm Caleb Silver, the editor-in-chief of Investopedia, and your host on our journey into what it means to be a so-called green investor today and what's happening across the sustainable investing landscape. On this week's episode, we're going old school, and we'll be talking to Emily Chu of Calvert Investments, one of the original sustainable and environmentally conscious money managers, about what Calvert's clients want today, what it's offering them, and where this investing theme is headed. Calvert is a pioneer in ESG and responsible investing, and Emily has great insights to share. But first, let's set some ground rules for this podcast. As always, this is for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. We will not make recommendations to buy, sell, or hold a particular security or asset, although we may discuss financial products with our guests. Some of our guests may invest in the securities mentioned on this podcast. Some of our guests may sell or market securities mentioned on this podcast, but all listeners should do their own research or consult with their financial advisor or broker before making any investment decisions. Well, let's get into it and let's get into some headlines, shall we? Here's what's newsworthy in the world of green investing. Well, 2021 was officially the fourth hottest year on record, and there were 20 separate climate disasters costing more than $1 billion each. That's according to NOAA's annual recap of climate and extreme weather events across the U.S. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's report also highlights the busy Atlantic hurricane season with 21 named storms and numerous wildfires that burned 7.1 million acres in western states. Don't count on the Federal Reserve to be the climate change police. That's the message from Fed Governor Lael Brainerd, who's been tapped by President Joe Biden to serve as vice chair for the central bank. Brainerd told the Senate Banking Committee last week that the Fed won't tell lenders to avoid fossil fuel companies, as some progressive groups have urged her to do. Brainerd said, quote, we would not tell banks which sectors to lend to or which sectors to not lend to, end quote. Still, she added that climate change was among the risks that the central bank reviews. Close to 100 banks have now signed up for the net zero banking alliance with European lenders making up the majority. Signatories commit to bringing greenhouse gas emissions linked to their lending and investment portfolios to net zero by the year 2050 and to establish interim goals within 18 months of joining. But the U.S. Central Bank cannot authorize banks to join that or any other alliance. Don't call stakeholder capitalism woke. That's the message from BlackRock chairman and CEO Larry Fink in his annual letter to shareholders. Fink says to call it capitalism in what felt like a castigation of BlackRock's critics who criticized the world's largest money manager of leaning into ESG as either bowing to business interests or as a marketing ploy. Fink wrote that reducing a company's carbon footprint, for instance, ensures long-term viability, something investors and executives should care about. Fink also noted that the next wave of successful startups will be those companies that help make the transition to a carbon-free energy affordable. He writes that the next 1,000 unicorns won't be search engines or social media companies. They'll be sustainable, scalable innovators, startups that help the world decarbonize and make the energy transition affordable for all customers, end quote. BlackRock's assets under management crossed $10 trillion for the first time ever last year, and the money management giant says that more than $4 trillion has been invested in sustainable technology. Total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions rose 6.2% in 2021, and the pace was faster than the rebound in energy demand, according to a recent report 
from the Rhodium Group. The report pointed to the increase in use of coal-fired power plants in the face of higher natural gas prices in 2021. Natural gas prices up 50% last year. Citing a report from S&P Global Market Intelligence, Rhodium warns in its preliminary assessment that the U.S. is now slipping farther behind its pledge to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50% below 2005 levels by the year 2030 and reach net zero by mid-century. And a mighty wind is blowing, and now the Biden administration is preparing to sell offshore wind rights near New Jersey and New York as part of its broader push to decarbonize the U.S. power grid and generate renewable electricity from nearly all of the U.S. coasts. Under the auction, which could be announced as soon as this week, the U.S. government aims to sell leases to install wind turbines in shallow Atlantic waters between New Jersey and New York's Long Island. They say it has the potential to generate some 7 gigawatts of carbon-free electricity. Way back in 1982, when no one was really thinking about sustainable or socially responsible investing, the Calvert Social Investment Fund was launched, becoming the first investment fund to integrate ESG factors with financial analysis. Forty years later, the firm, now owned by Morgan Stanley, has over $36 billion in assets under management and is still leading the charge for responsible investing. Emily Chu is the Chief Responsible Investing Officer for Calvert, and she is our special guest on The Green Investor. Welcome, Emily. Thanks, Caleb. Nice to be here. You have such a cool job title, one we don't hear that often, but I have a feeling we're going to hear it a lot more. What does it actually mean, and how does it fit into Calvert's overall leadership team? Well, I'll start with the second part of your question first. So Calvert is in the process of rapid growth and expansion. As part of that, we're building out a leadership team. And my role, specifically day-to-day, is to have oversight of our ESG research group and our corporate engagement group and to ensure that the work that they're doing is oriented towards our long-term investment thesis to develop out some of those views across the board and to ensure that they're consistent. And then we also have other departments at Calvert that have other senior leaders, including our Applied Solutions Group, which is responsible for our responsible indices and other systematically managed products. When you go to Calvert's site, though, there you are right there on the site. So right there in the top of the leadership team, you know Calvert takes this very, very seriously. As I said in the intro, Emily, Calvert's been at this a long time. The name is synonymous with responsible investing. So what are your customers, what are Calvert's customers asking for as it relates to green or environmental or climate-related investing? What are their questions? What are their needs? Well, you're right, Caleb, in that we are one of the originals in this space. And it's such an honor to be able to work for an institution that has been a real trailblazer in the field of responsible investing. And I suppose I want to answer your questions in two parts. So one is that, first of all, what do we mean by responsible investing? Because I think that at Calvert, we have a very specific view on what that means. I find in these conversations, you always need to have a clear the throat kind of definitional (laughs) chat first, because there are so many acronyms and terminologies that can mean slightly different things to different people. And then I'll get into- It's alphabet soup out there. So by all means, please lay it out. Unfortunately, it is unfortunately alphabet soup out there. And for Calvert, our definition of responsible investing is really that it encompasses our fiduciary duty to our clients, which first and foremost is to invest for attractive financial returns. And we do this across a range of investment styles in the public markets We also invest in companies that are at the forefront of managing their ESG risks, exposures and opportunities, which means managing risks from unmitigated externalities to both the company and to a broader set of stakeholders and to invest in companies that are profiting from the positive change, product opportunities and business models available to them as there is a systemic and structural shift 
in the capital markets, which reflects the systemic and structural shift in the economy. So for us, the concept of responsible encompasses both financial returns and responsible corporate behaviour from an ESG perspective. And I want to highlight that because you introduced us as a socially responsible firm. And I think that that was very much in Calvert's DNA when we first got involved in this space 40 years ago. And I think for many people, socially responsible kind of implies the ethical or values-oriented investing, which certainly is a very valid concern and is a concern that we seek to address for our clients. But it's obviously not something that we believe means you need to make a trade-off with financial returns. You asked, what are our clients looking for? Our clients are looking for conviction. They're looking for long-term oriented investing, not kind of opportunistic trading around ESG things or short-term trends, but really looking for strong conviction over the long-term about the materiality of ESG factors to companies. And they're looking for authenticity. I think they're looking for a group of people that they can trust to steward their capital, to deliver financial returns, but also to be looking really long-term and selecting companies that they want to be involved with and companies that perhaps have some room for improvement or significant room for improvement in some cases. But our role as asset managers and stewards of that capital is to be actively engaged with those companies. So our clients are looking for the full package in that regard. It's important to note that Calvert doesn't just help steer investors to the right funds or companies. You actively work with the companies to improve their ESG, their sustainability efforts as shareholders. How does that work exactly? How do you get in there with the board or into the executive suite and try to help make change and facilitate that? We look across our funds and we identify names where we think there's an opportunity to really add to the bottom line and to obviously add to our returns as an investor through engagement. And so we identify those ESG issues or trends that could be the most value-adding for a company. And I think if you start from that perspective, it's much easier to have a conversation with a company because you're essentially coming in and saying, look, we're a stakeholder here. We're a part owner in the company. We're concerned about your business. We see this particular human capital issue or this particular energy transition issue. And we're not clear based on your current disclosures, what you're doing about that. And that concerns us. So let's have a conversation. So really our engagement process, we're boiling it down to a science. It's obviously a process of iteration and learning over several years. But what we do is we identify the issue. We develop an engagement thesis based on our investment research and based on the experience of our engagement team. We then initiate contact with the company. We invite them to a conversation. Many companies are very open to those conversations. Many of them we have established relationships with. So it's not that we're contacting them for the first time. And then where the company is perhaps not responsive to our request, we keep trying. And then we'll look for other ways to access the company if we're not getting any traction. And that might be through an approach to a board member or leveraging a relationship that we may have. And then we have a discussion and we essentially we seek to escalate that discussion over time if we're not seeing responsiveness to our requests. And our requests could be anything from be clear about your energy transition plan if you're an electric utility. Like what is your CapEx spend to transition your energy assets? Or it could be around plastic waste reduction. What are you doing as a supermarket or as a consumer products manufacturer around plastic waste reduction? all with the understanding that there is a tie back to an investment thesis. So it could be reputational risk oriented, regulatory risk oriented, could be ensuring the ongoing competitiveness of the company as the economy shifts. And then ultimately, if we're not 
getting any traction, we will use shareholder resolutions as a final way of getting the company's attention or of trying to force the issue with the company to illustrate that there is consensus around a point. And we had some success with that tactic with Tesla last year. We had the shareholder resolution that we sponsored around their diversity disclosures that passed at the AGM in Q3 last year. So we were very pleased with that result. And you have this criteria, folks, I'll put this in the show notes, for selecting the companies to engage with. That's materiality, opportunity, position size, financial performance, and experience. This is what you look at when you say, should we engage with this company? We're a shareholder, we're a stakeholder. I want to bring up comments recently made by Larry Fink, the chairman of BlackRock, in his letter to shareholders. Everybody listens to that letter to shareholders. BlackRock's made a big deal about being ESG-oriented as a stakeholder. But he said recently that it's not woke to be a stakeholder capitalist or to be involved in ESG. It is capitalism. I'm not going to ask you to respond to Larry, but what's your position on that at Calvert? I think we need to avoid getting caught up in false dichotomies that can be imposed on us by a particular political environment, which is so divided and divisive. We are investing, as I mentioned, for financial return. We have really high conviction that these ESG factors matter. And You'll find across the capital markets that different investors take a different position about their level of conviction, essentially. So, for example, in 2015, we essentially exited the majority of the energy sector. We did it at a time when that wasn't as popular, and we didn't do it based on a top-down binary screening process, which you'll see with some ESG funds or just with some investors where they say, oh, no, no exposures to this or that. It was really based on a bottom-up fundamental analysis, these companies had high exposures to a rapid energy transition, potential disruption from that transition, and they didn't have a strategy in place. They didn't even have targets at that time. And so that is not really about, I think, taking a political position. That's about looking at it from the perspective of investors, but investors who have high conviction that stakeholder management and a company seeing itself as part of a system, part of the system of wealth, stewardship, and generation that defines prosperity for a whole community, that these things matter to us as investors. Well, absolutely. And it's about risk. Folks that listen to this podcast know from episode one, we were talking to Spencer Glennon about risk. If these companies are not paying attention to risk, that could erode their bottom lines. Forget about protecting the environment or reducing climate warming. If they are not paying attention to the things that could affect their bottom line, it really could hurt them and their shareholders in the long run. So that's your position. Absolutely. But you do it with a responsible angle, which is so interesting. I think just to add to that, Caleb, I think the risk element is something that I think one of the reasons why ESG investing, however it's defined for you as an individual investor, has really taken hold, particularly in the last two, three years, I would say. It's really mainstream because I think there is enough data at this point and there's consensus that at a minimum, consideration of these factors is good risk management. It just makes sense. And there's enough data available now, obviously of questionable veracity or consistency, but there is enough data that you want to go into the markets looking at that data. You don't want to go into the markets just not looking at it because everyone else is looking at it. So there's been a self-reinforcing cycle, I think, at the bare minimum of risk management. At Calvert, we're doing more than just risk management. We're actually investing for positive change. And our shareholder activities, the shareholder resolutions that we bring, our engagements with companies, the way in which we select certain companies, we are looking for companies that are proactively trying to generate positive change for the community and for the environment. 
and helping them along the way as well, if you're a stakeholder, which makes a ton of sense these days. Let's talk about some of your funds at Calvert, especially the ones that are more climate or environmentally oriented. Let's talk about a couple of the big ones and sort of your criteria for that company's selection and how you approach it. So take us through a couple, if you don't mind. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks for the opportunity. And when you asked earlier, what are your clients looking for when it comes to the environment? I think that they're looking again for companies or for funds that are invested in solutions, invested in that positive change and managed in a way where they're stewarding their assets as a company in a way that's environmentally responsible. And so I think the starting point for our investment process really is the Calvert Principles for Responsible Investment. These are available on our website. It's a principles-based framework that expresses our belief that corporations deliver benefits to society. They do that through their products and services. They do that through employment, payment of taxes, and the sum of their behaviors. And that we seek to invest in companies that provide positive leadership in the areas of their business operations where these ESG factors are material for themselves and material for society. So if you're looking at airlines, you're looking at their carbon emissions, you're looking at their labor management and That's very different if you're looking at a luxury goods manufacturer, where you're looking at uh, water usage, supply chain, plastic use, etc. So in the Calvert Principles for Responsible Investment, they are organized under the pillars of E, S, and G, because it's a clear way of communicating, again, for conceptual simplicity's sake. And under the E pillar, we're looking at reducing the negative impact of operations on the environment, managing water scarcity ensuring efficient and equitable access to clean water sources, diminishing climate-related risks and reducing carbon emissions, driving sustainability innovation through resource efficiency, both through business operations and through products and services and provision of solutions. So these kinds of factors are broad. It's a principles-based framework. And the beauty of a principles-based framework is that on the one hand, we're clearly stating we believe in the importance of water, natural capital, the atmosphere via our focus on carbon emissions. It's very clear what we stand for. But on the other hand, it's flexible enough to be applied in an industry-relative manner. So our research is supported by a team of research analysts who are sector specialists and have several years of experience in many cases of watching the markets, following the companies that they're responsible for. And our research process takes the initial step of identifying the ESG issues that are most material to that industry or sector based on research, based on various frameworks out there in the industry, based on our own experience. We develop an ESG investment thesis, so that identifies how those ESG factors might be material to the industry as a whole and companies operating in that industry. We build structural scoring models using ESG data to essentially rank companies in a given sector based on the material ESG factors. And those structural models are essentially guides for our analysts to help make investment decisions about what's investable or not investable under the principles-based framework. So it's not implemented in a rigid or I would say quantitative manner, but we are using the ESG data as a way of coming up with a relative peer comparison. And then from there, we have a governance committee that oversees the recommendations from the analysts about what's investable and what's not investable under the principles. So that is the baseline for all of the companies that go into Calvert funds, whether they're systematic funds or active funds. And then when you think about, well, what do we offer in the environmental space specifically? Our clients are really interested, as I mentioned, not only in the 
broad sense of responsible environmental stewardship, which just feeds through in our process, as you can see from the bottom up in everything that we do, they're also interested in the solutions. So a couple of the funds I would point to is our Global Energy Solutions Fund. This is a fund that invests in companies that are involved in business activities in the sustainable energy solutions sector. So that could be renewable energy companies, but it could also be companies that are suppliers to that renewable energy system. So it could be battery manufacturers, chip manufacturers, etc. Now, this fund is interesting because essentially because we're out of fossil fuels for the most part, based on our fundamental view, you won't find oil and gas companies that are trying to say that they're becoming green or they've got some target that they haven't provided evidence of how they're achieving it. In these funds, you'll find companies that are really oriented towards that solutions provision. And based on our website, the fact sheet there, the top holding right now is EcoPro BM, Voltronic Power, LG Chem, which is really interesting, On Semiconductor. You'll see Tesla in the top 10 as well for this fund. Now, this fund has actually outperformed the MSCI ACWI on a three-year and five-year basis. And so we think that it does demonstrate you're not sacrificing returns to be kind of have high conviction in solutions providers. Yeah, I want to get into that real quick. A lot of the backlash against ESG or climate-based investing or whatever we're calling it today has been this, you might have to sacrifice performance if you want to invest along with your conscience. Not the case anymore, Emily. Not the case for the last few years, right? Not the case for the last few years. And I think that's partly because the data has improved. Now, that's enabled us as investors to do better analysis, analysis that is very fundamental, very oriented towards value creation for investors, but able to also monitor companies' impact on stakeholders. And I think also we're seeing a structural shift in the economy. It's time. We're up against some really very real planetary boundaries here. There's no justification for continuing to support systems and structures that don't benefit all of humanity. And that includes the environment as our ultimate system in which we live. And I think that's recognized by policymakers. Policymakers are moving as quickly as they can, obviously subject to election cycles in some cases. Policymakers are moving. Regulators are moving in terms of disclosures that we need to make as fund managers around climate metrics and other environmental metrics. And I think that there's a shift with the end investor, with retail investors who want to understand, well, my money's invested not for the next one or two years, but for the next 30 to 50 years. And where is the planet going to be after 2050? At the moment, we're not on a great trajectory. So I think all these factors are really coming into play to make these business models much more profitable than perhaps they've been in the past, obviously aided by the incredible reduced cost of the technology, the underlying technologies, which are driving the fundamentals as well. And not for nothing, there are some big cap companies in here that have done very well over the years. You put a Google or Alphabet or a Tesla or an Apple into any of these funds because they qualify based on your measurements for some part of this, you're going to get good performance. But that's not just because they are the biggest companies that are also doing the best. They're also making change because of stakeholders and because of demands of shareholders and their customers as well. So that's why you're seeing a lot of performance, but you're also seeing, as you've noted, a new industry really growing up in the past decade or so. But really in the past couple of years, there's so much venture money, private equity, investment money in general has gone into the sector. Absolutely. And I think that those large cap companies... They're interesting because they come with some of the biggest problems. Walmart has just had some issues in the last few days around toxic emissions and negative impact. And you're always going to have 
some negative impacts from these very large companies. Very large companies have complex supply chains, hundreds if not thousands of operational sites. They do rub up against various community concerns, but they also tend to have strong governance, more resources to address those risks, and frankly, a lot more attention from shareholders because they are the biggest holdings. You mentioned earlier our engagement process. Looking at the size of the holding is a really important decision for us to decide, well, are we going to spend our limited resources that we have on engaging with this company and what's the potential for them to actually move? Great point. I mean, with that said, we do see a lot of potential for engagement and for investment beyond large cap, emerging markets, small cap. We think that these are a couple of asset classes that are going to be very big in the ESG space over the next couple of years. A lot of ESG in the last few years, a lot of the funds that you've seen launched has been large cap global equities, or they've been thematic green bond funds. I mean, we ourselves, we have a very successful green bond fund that was one of the first in the industry out there. You've seen activity in that space. And we think that emerging markets and small cap are areas of growth in the next couple of years. What's missing, Emily, in the marketplace for so-called green investors or those that want to invest with their environmental conscience? Is it more offerings? Is it more education? Is it both of those? What else is missing in your point of view? Well, we're really in the process of building a new infrastructure for a new way of investing. There's stuff missing all over the place. We need better data. We need more data protocols. Now, there are discussions underway with the ISSB around a standardized ESG disclosure format. We've seen in Europe the introduction of minimum ESG disclosure standards. And that is helpful because everything that we've built in the ESG space and responsible investment space to date has really been off the back of, if you think of it, inconsistent data, which is almost like trying to build a house without having the proper plumbing built underneath the house or a proper foundation. So certainly consistent, repeatable, accountable, transparent data would be a fantastic addition to accelerating this space. But that in and of itself won't be the silver bullet for either positive change that we want to see through the capital markets or through perfect ESG-oriented investing. Obviously, you're still going to need the intelligence, the wisdom of real people who are experienced, who understand these companies, who speak to them every day. And there's always going to be a lag between disclosed data and what's actually happening at the company. I would say, obviously, better and more data is one factor, but not the be-all and end-all of what we need. We also need more investor education. And in that regard, we've invested quite a lot of time and resources into collaborations with various institutions, particularly with financial advisors. A large proportion of our client base are investors in mutual funds or investors through the wealth management channel. And historically, financial advisors have not been advocates for ESG. They've been the ones telling individuals, oh, you're going to lose money. It's going to introduce too much risk into your portfolio. And that's really been an outdated message probably for the last 10 years at this point. We identified the need to invest quite a lot of time in supporting financial advisors to have up-to-date language, up-to-date facts, as well as the fund range that we've put out there. And so if you go onto our website, we have something called an advisor resource center that has videos, documents, short kind of blog style information that's quick to absorb that can help equip advisors to have better conversations with their end clients. Talk to me about Calvert's plans for 2022. What are your big goals for this year? What's on the horizon for Calvert and what are you excited about? So many things, Caleb. I mean, we have a big product pipeline that's underway that I'm very excited about. Building off the success of our responsible index mutual fund range, 
which again have had very strong performance over the last five, six years. We'll be looking to launch new products that provide both more thematic exposure to different types of ESG themes that we know are of interest to our clients, as well as exposure to what we think of as, say, the best ideas or the leaders in different industries. So if you like a higher conviction form of our systematic investment style. So we're very excited about our new product range. I think the other area that I want to highlight for 2022 for Calvert is our engagement work that I'm super excited about. To give you a bit of background, Caleb, over the last 18 months, we've run a campaign around EEO1 disclosures. So EEO1 is the data set that the Equal Opportunity and Employment Commission requires companies of a certain size to disclose to them annually about providing quite a lot of detail around the diversity profile of a company's workforce. However, this data is not required to be made public. We looked at this in 2020. We identified that of our top 100 holdings in our responsible index series, only 18 of the top 100 were voluntarily making that disclosure available. And we thought that's not right. This is a really material factor to us. Diversity is linked with improved governance, risk management, improved performance profile on the whole over the long run, better corporate culture, better retention, et cetera. And so we wrote to those companies, we engaged with them, we ran a shareholder resolution campaign. And where we stand today is that over 80% of those companies in a relatively short period of time are now either committed to making that disclosure public or have made it public already. So we think that that really highlights the power of shifting a norm around information disclosure that helps everyone in the capital markets, not just Calvin, if there's a focused and targeted campaign. So as a follow-up to that, we are looking at using the data now to do a second layer of engagement with the companies around their actual diversity strategy. And the other piece that we are really focused on is climate change. As part of our net zero pledge as an asset manager, we're committed to engaging with the companies that we invest in around their decarbonization trajectory, what's possible for them to achieve in the next 10 and 30 years around decarbonization. We'll be focusing on the high carbon companies, banks, companies responsible for the built environment, as well as the solutions providers around that broad theme. We will be looking forward to that. And folks, the data is out there, the information's out there. It's just about As you say, Emily, collecting it, looking at it, and then making those investment decisions. We're going to link to Calvert's principles on the show page for the website. And this has been so fascinating. We want to have you back and see how things are going in about a year's time. Emily Chu, the Chief Responsible Investing Officer for Calvert. Thanks so much for joining The Green Investor. Thanks, Caleb. It's been a pleasure. It's time for Green Facts, and we're looking for data points across industries as we follow the money as green investors. Today's Green Fact comes to us from the auto industry, where a lot of money is being spent on the quest to go electric. Car brands collectively ran four times as many national TV ads for electric vehicles in 2021 as they did in either of the previous two years. General Motors, Ford, and Volkswagen, among others, spent an estimated $248 million on nearly 33,000 TV commercials. That's up from $83 million spent on just 8,000 commercials in 2019. And that's according to data from EDO. In 2022, the U.S. car market is about to see its options for electric vehicles more than double. 30 entirely new models are poised to hit American roads, according to IHS market, and automakers are aiming for the high end of the luxury market. Brands such as Cadillac, Lincoln, and Polestar are coming to the market, and size is everything. 
The designs include at least 14 SUVs, a van, and four pickup trucks, most notably a battery-powered version of Ford's F-150, the country's best-selling vehicle for decades. IHS estimates that one in 20 American buyers this year will pick a fully electric vehicle. That means one million new EVs on the road in 2022. We're introducing a new segment this week because, well, we have to and we can. With so many acronyms in investing and especially green investing, we thought it would be helpful to play Unpack the Acronym to help us get through some of this alphabet soup. This week's acronym, the SASB. That stands for the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which was established in 2011 to develop and disseminate sustainability accounting standards. It is maintained under the auspices of the Value Reporting Foundation. That's a global nonprofit organization that tries to help companies come to a mutual understanding of enterprise value. The standards identify financially material issues or those factors that may significantly influence a company's business model and value drivers, things like sales, profits, and expenditures, and therefore are most important to investors. Climate change risk and greenhouse gas emissions are two of the 26 financially material general sustainability issues identified by the SASB. And guess who some of the SASB's biggest members are? BlackRock, Verizon, NRG, and the big consulting companies. We'll go out with Today in Environmental History this week. On January 19, 1994, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, publishes the Citizens' Right to Know list, giving communities and public safety agencies data on toxic chemicals stored at industrial sites in their towns. Advocates of this Right to Know law say the free flow of information will help them respond to accidents. The chemical industry says the move could put that info into the wrong hands, but the Citizens' Right to Know is out there and has been the basis for many landmark environmental cases. And happy birthday to Ben Franklin, born on January 17th, 1706. What a year that was. Franklin was a printer, a scientist, and a major political figure in the American Revolution. He was also an activist for clean drinking water, something that was very hard to come by in the 18th century. He put a lot of effort into trying to improve clean water and sanitation in his hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Plus, he may have had a small part in helping us harness electricity. Happy birthday, Ben. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Green Investor, powered by Investopedia. Our special thanks to Emily Chu of Calvert Investments and her team. We'll link to some of their research in the show notes, which you can find by searching for The Green Investor on Investopedia. And do us a favor if you can. Rate this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And if you want to go the extra step, leave us a review or a comment. We love feedback, and we're always trying to get better. Thanks for listening, and keep it green. Hey!